This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. Are you feeling 22? I know I am, because this is episode 22. Uh, Taylor Swift was just up the road in Columbus, played Ohio Stadium the night before, played Cleveland Stadium. Holy cow. Anyway, (laughs) I'm the content director for Cincy Shirts and our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. Today on our show, Kevin Wallace from the American Sign Museum. Every neon sign has to be handmade. The glass is all hand-bent. These are handmade glass sculptures. Uh, which seems kind of silly that we went around banning them all. So Kevin has been on the podcast before, you may remember. He was on the episode of Jimmy McLaughlin from FC Cincinnati, as Kevin is part of the Pride, which is FC Cincinnati's fan group. He's like third in command, he he tells us uh, in this interview. And we recorded this about a week before the Jimmy interview, and I was certain we ran this, but nope, I was looking back over the files, and I'm like, wait a minute, we never ran the American Sign Museum interview. And it's such a fun and interesting interview. Uh, We're talking about not only the museum, but signs in general, the history of them, uh, why Neon went from being much sought after to being something that people didn't want and now it's kind of going through a renaissance. It's uh, really cool stuff. Uh, We also talk about some some of the signs themselves in the museum and uh, Kevin's got some cool stories behind them including one about the El Rancho Rankin sign they have and uh, he lets us in on a little secret about that so stay tuned. Also be sure to listen for the promo code at the end of the episode so you can save 20% on your next Cincy shirts or old school shirts order. So here we go. Let's talk about signs. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I, Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati. So actually, I think it was you, Darren, was talking to my buddy uh, Andrew uh, Prenovic about doing FC oh, Cincinnati yeah. something or another, I was the guy he was going to bring along. So, Oh, really? If that's a thing you still want to do, I am oh. totally for it. <laughs> so, you, so you're like the leader of the pride or whatever? Uh, I am currently third in command. Uh, the that's Secretary, awesome. officially. Uh, but I also write the blog uh, for the pride. So, oh, okay. Um, my name gets out there a lot. <laughs> awesome. Well, we got Jimmy coming in uh, this, this week for an interview because nice. we're doing a uh, we're, our player tees are going to be coming out uh, nice. soon, so he's going to be the first one. Cool. So we're thinking about having like a yeah, like a guy just to refer to as soccer nerd sit in and oh. just uh, answer the answer the, <laughs> right. or ask the questions. We're, we're pretty good as far as Cincinnati goes, but when you you know something that the hardcore fans might want, you know, we might be lacking in certain areas when it comes to. I'd, I'd be happy to sit talking, in. I'd be talking happy formations to... and setups and. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I know. Fundamentals. I know U.S. pro soccer history real well, all the local okay. stuff. But yeah, as far good. as like the actual game, I know what offsides is. Okay, that's I'm good. Out. That's <laughs> when <they> start. <laughs> Done. Yep, don't use I mean, I played hands. it as a kid, but yeah, and I'm, yep, right, I'm a fan, right. but I'm not, you know, I watched a lot of indoor soccer right. as a kid being from Cleveland, where we had a very successful yeah. team. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, shit. What was the name of them? They won the, force, the championship right? in like the, the 90s, right? The Force. The, the Crunch one. Crunch. The, the Force uh, went to the finals in the 80s a bunch of times. Okay. Okay. The Force are more beloved. I so much see. so the Crunch changed their name to the Force for okay, the last that's hilarious. Years I didn't realize I that. almost wore my Force wow. t shirt today, but I wore this for Peyton, our old Stingers shirt. <laughs> there I mean, Peyton, the new store. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah. Fresh. <laughs> sure. So. Uh, so what, what's your position with the American Sign Museum? Uh, so I am the guest services manager. Aha. Uh-huh. Is, is the official title. But there's maybe 10 employees. So I am also the guy who cleans the bathrooms. I'm also the guy who's picking up trash on the outside of the building. So nice. everything. <laughs> Only 10 people run that, that whole place? The events and everything? or Probably even uh, a little optimistic. I think we have six full-time employees. So, yeah, we it's a skeleton crew running that place. Are you guys open every day? <laughs> uh, Wednesday through Sunday. So we're actually closed today. So okay. That's nice. But. So how long have you been with the museum? So I've been with the museum s- 
actually. So I updated my. I was doing doing some LinkedIn stuff, not leaving the museum, just, just a little, <laughs> little updating. Uh, did it yesterday. I am at two years and ten months uh, as of today, so it's pretty fun. Nice. So, what did you do before? What kind of led you to oh, be working for the? Uh, so I was uh, <laughs> the salesperson for a translation services company, uh, affordable language services. So I'll, if you've got a document in English and you need it in Spanish, I was the guy asking you to use my company. Um, did that for a year, which is interesting. I studied a couple languages in college, so that it was appealing at least. Um, before that, I worked at a textbook company up in Mason, Cengage Learning. So, Oh, I just met a woman that works there. There you go, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I was doing trivia up in Loveland. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Small world. Right? <laughs> yeah, she just got, she was an intern and she just got a job there. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. It's a nice place to work. I still have a bunch of friends up there, so um, so that's fun. But yeah, so I studied history in college, and I was kind of lacking oh. that that muscle uh, a little bit. It started to atrophy. So saw the job posting online for the American Sign Museum, and thought, oh, "This is it. This is perfect." And uh, I tricked them into giving me a job. So here I am. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So tell us about uh, how the museum came about. Um, and how how did it end up in Cincinnati? Yeah, Cincinnati's not you know a sign mecca uh, necessarily. The museum was started by a guy named Todd Swarmstead. He was the former editor in chief of Signs of the Times magazine, which is the trade journal for the sign industry. It's been published in Cincinnati since 1906. So that is wow. why it's in Cincinnati and and how it got started was it's all from Todd and his family has has pretty much run the the publishing company and the magazine since the beginning. So were signs that uh that amazing in 1906 that they had a signed magazine for him? That's crazy. Yeah, it's... Is that one, before electricity? One of, one of your first trade journals. Uh, no, it's probably right around the time. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Edison's electric light was taking shape. So the first signs were, I'm sure, you know, made out of wood. And so someone thought yeah. those are so cool that we can make a magazine out of these. A hundred percent. I think that guy almost hired me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And at the last minute, uh, he... Uh, this guy, this is about 20 years ago. Uh, this is pre maybe pre pre museum or just when the museum they're just building the collection. Yeah, but I remember interviewing uh, them and then telling me that they ran they're always going to have this museum. That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, in fact, that what did I? This is a funny story. I I tried to kind of get, get myself and go to them. I believe his favorite show was Burn Notice on USA, and somehow <laughs> somehow I found that out and tried to work that into the conversation <laughs> in the interview. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. I'll yeah. have to ask about that when I get back. It didn't work? did not work. <laughs> no, I, I think I got, I think I got down I to like, burnout, or as, like usual, as usual, I was the I was Miss Congeniality in, uh, in every job interview I get. So. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair but, enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess, so what? Lightbulb shows up, 1890, 1906, you have a sign industry that, you're right, was super local. Like, originally, the shop owner kind of made their own sign. They just crafted it out of wood. Maybe they get their buddy, who's pretty good with woodworking, to make it. But as it gets bigger and bigger, and you're competing for eyeballs, and cities are getting bigger and bigger, um, you got to start to stand out. And when electricity gets introduced, oh, man, now you've got specialized electricians. You've got guys who can do really intricate work in gold leaf and sign painting and things like that. And it starts to make sense to specialize it, but it's still really local. You were going to a local sign shop to figure out you know, how you're going to make your sign. And so these guys were all separated. They, they weren't necessarily connected. And so a sign magazine all of a sudden starts connecting sign companies in New York and San Francisco and Dallas and Cincinnati and Dayton. And now they're all talking to each other. And now they're all advertising the cool new technology they just patented because they just invented a way to make the light bulbs flash. That was really cool. So you wanted to be the first shop in Dayton or Cincinnati with a flashing light bulb yeah. sign. Everybody's going to know that sign. So it, it started to make sense to build that up and here we are today. It's a multi-billion dollar industry around the world. So Todd's parents uh, started, or, or ancestors, I don't know how, how many <laughs> generations that is. So, so they started the magazine. And so their sort of love for signs and all that is signs developed. And then, so what, do they, they just start collecting signs? Todd really approaches it in the fact that Nobody cares about an old sign. If you're a new business moving into a building, you don't care about the old business. In fact, it's probably better for you to get their old sign off as fast as possible. Let's make people forget about that place and let's make it our own. Uh, and these signs get thrown away, but that sign has, you know, craftsmanship. It has history. It has an emotional connection in that neighborhood. And this stuff's just ending up in the trash. 
And so Todd thought, you know, this history of this industry that, one, nobody knows anything about, I'd be impressed if people could name three sign companies, two sign companies I'd be impressed. Uh, and nobody knows anything about these places, and their history is being thrown away. Somebody needs to stop and collect this and write this story and dedicate a story to this industry, these people, these craftsmen, these artists. And that's what he sought out doing. So if you go to the museum... We've got a bunch of fun t-shirts on sale. Aha, uh, funny enough here. But they all say established 1999. That's when Todd starts collecting the signs. He's going out and actively looking for the signs. Uh, the building, or there isn't a physical space to view the signs until 2005. So where was he storing them before then? Just his house? Yeah. <laughs> That's a big house. I, I guess. Uh, some of them end up in the house. Some of them end up in storage. Uh, some of them were promised to him by sign companies, and they kept them on site at their places. That's actually still fairly common with us. We've got a couple of signs promised to us as soon as we can figure out how to get them out of Toledo or you know, yeah. Des Moines. <laughs> yeah. I like when uh, places keep the old sign frame. So, like, it's an old Pizza Hut sign, but it's Bob's Hardware now. The yeah, those are the best. Or uh, even here in Cincinnati, you've got Kaze, right? The, the the defining feature of their building is a three- or four-story tall Cincinnati Paint Company sign. It's gigantic. It's eye-catching. It dominates Vine Street. And their sign is maybe a foot and a half by a foot and a half rectangle, you know, down at the bottom that says Kaze real small. But, yeah, preserving that history and that connection is really cool. And if you do it properly... You can use that history to your advantage as a, as a business owner. So, There's a, the guy out in uh, <clears throat> east of town here. He used to be out on uh, 32 outside of Newtown. He had a Roy Rogers franchise, and he lost the franchise. Uh, but they said he could keep everything. He could keep the design. He could keep the <laughs> recipes, but they, they couldn't license the Roy Rogers name anymore. So he just converted the sign. It's, it's off of Roney Lane is the corner yep, street. So he yep. converted Roy Rogers to Roney's, and it's still a Roy Rogers sign. And he took that to his new location in Milford. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's just a fantastic use of using that sign, and I love it. It's a big old neon sign still. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, we have one on, uh, speaking of good neon signs, on um, where I live in Anderson Township, they passed an ordinance that you can no longer use neon in your signs. Uh, or have, um, and I'm not neon, uh, have the little bulbs that go around the sign. Oh, yeah, yeah, People yeah. I'm talking about from the 50s and 60s, yeah, like and they, the would, they flash and they bulbs, make little yeah. patterns. So they pass an ordinance, you're not allowed to use those anymore, and only three places on Beachmont, they were grandfathered in. And everyone that inherits the building also inherits the right to keep that sign. Yep. So the dog grooming place has it, <laughs> yeah. a bar, and Arby's. Yes. And the Arby's burned down. They kept the sign, thankfully. Yep. Didn't put up one of those hideous, stupid little <laughs> four-foot signs. Yeah. Big, beautiful, although it burns out a lot. Yeah. The maintenance on those things has got to be insane. They can be tough. Now, yeah. in an ideal world, a neon sign will literally last forever. There's nothing inherent about it that should ever take it out. The downside is it is glass. It's generally unprotected. It's just hanging out there. Yeah. And you can throw a rock at it. It gets hit by you know, a piece of garbage flying off the road or hail or, or something more dramatic. We get weather here. Yeah, yeah that, that, can, that can do it in. But in general, if you can get it going, I mean, a neon sign on average will last you... 25, 35, 45 years before you have to do anything major to it, which is a huge advantage for Neon. Jeez. But, yeah, it is kind of delicate out there. So, yeah. pluses and minuses for sure. So, how many signs are in the sign museum at this point? Oh, gosh. It's the unanswerable question, I feel like. Uh, we should do a better job of record keeping. I think we're north of 900 what I'll call sign signs. We have thousands and thousands of objects in the collection, you know, paintbrushes, airbrushes, books, all that fun stuff. But what I'd consider a sign sign, we're, we're probably a little north of 900 at this point. And are they all on display or some of them, there's a rotating collection? Uh, so that's that's the tricky part. So I'd say about a third of the collection is actually on display properly. Okay. Uh, if you've been to the museum, you've probably only seen half of the space we have. We've got about 20,000 square feet in the Camp Washington neighborhood with yeah, about a third to maybe a half of the collection on display. We have another 20,000 square feet that we have yet to expand into. We're trying to get in there. Um, if anybody went to the ballet event, the Club B event this year, uh, you got to hang out in our annex a little bit there. So some more signs were on display. And it's as we're moving into that new space that we'll actually be able to properly rotate signs. Right now, the collection's pretty well static. Uh, what you see is what you get. And if you went there last year, it's going to look really similar. 
But going forward, we want to have a rotating space where we can have themed displays or even outside displays that are only here for a little bit. Um, those kinds of things would be ideal. Uh, but we've just been kind of building the plane as we're flying it. So uh, <laughs> what we have is what you get. So. <laughs> so you're looking to add on or that's going to be a different building? You'd go to building one... No, it's actually all two or... in the same building, which is cool. As it was, not to get too much in the weeds, but as it was originally sold, it was sold in two halves. And so the museum moved into the first half, built it, renovated it, dropped actually a couple million dollars into making it look nice. I'm sure. The back half, we're working on it. It's still a work in progress. Uh, the building we're in turned 100 this year. That's pretty cool. Oh. Uh, I always okay. say uh, the downside to that is it looks 100 years old. Yeah, back in that back 20,000 square feet. So uh, we're, we're working on it. It needs a new floor. It needs some heating and air conditioning, but it's wow. got working neon signs in it. And Everyone uh, knows about that. But how cool will that be <laughs> once... Uh, Right. Once that gets rolling. Our, our new OTR store was built in 1875. Right. <laughs> really? Yes. I did not. Yeah. If uh, those of you out there that follow us and maybe know our science yeti, Dan, him and I were wandering around the front of the building yesterday trying to figure out why the front looks so different than the back. <laughs> and then as we can recognize that they took out the front of the building and replaced it in the, sometime in the 20s. But the building properly was built in 1875. Wow. Huh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But, buy shirts. but back at the sign museum, are you guys friendly with like the Neon Museum out in Las Vegas? Uh, we are. We are. I like to say we're institutional friends, right? Cool. So not a ton of crossover, but there's two big signs that they were useful in, in us getting. One is the Holiday Inn sign that you'll see on the oh, outside yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah, that came from Las Vegas. That is our big oh, wow. Las Vegas sign. Um, and then the McDonald's sign. If you've been inside the museum, you... 100% know this sign. Uh, that one actually came from Huntsville, Alabama, but they were the ones that put us in connection with them to help, oh, help nice. get it. So, yeah. <gasps> but yeah, that's a cool museum. If you get out to Vegas, yes. that's, that's a fun one. And they too, uh, most of them are in storage. And they rotate the collection, although it's not—it's an outdoor collection. Yeah. And think it looks—it's stacked like a junkyard, kind of, but it does make sense. And yeah. You walk through it; it's a big oval, and you walk around, and it's yeah. There's some cool stuff. Yeah, huh. that's that's literally how they got started. So they started as there was a, a sign company, the Young Electric Sign Company. They go by Yesco, yeah. and uh, that was literally their junkyard. They just dumped all the old signs yeah. out in the desert, and then uh, they built a fence around it and kind of went to town. So. Sort of the opposite of us, which I think is interesting. They started with a giant collection of signs and built a museum backwards. Whereas Todd uh, and the American Sign Museum, we built a museum and then went out to, and grabbed signs for that museum. So uh, same idea, just working from opposite ends of the spectrum. The uh, Las Vegas Museum, I just now remember the sign graveyard, is, it's in many movies and TV shows. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a favorite the original place. One. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a favorite place to find a dead body in CSI. Like it's it's a really good place. Yeah, to in, the, in the old crime story TV series, the the gangs used to take people out there to question them and ultimately oh, yeah. dispose of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But that was out. If people familiar with? I think it was out south of the airport. And the, now the museum is actually just outside of downtown. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. The yeah. big the big thing they got is, let's talk about another museum, but uh, they purchased the old lobby of a hotel, picked it up, moved oh, yeah, it, yeah. and dropped it yeah. off yeah. right in, fact, in front I have, of it. I have a t-shirt of that. <laughs> I should have worn that. I don't, yeah, yeah, what the heck? I don't know. I can't remember. What, what's the name of the uh, hotel? Yeah. I don't remember the name of the hotel, but yeah, yeah. it's a big spaceship-looking thing. It is, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, th and that, that survives the day as their, their lobby. Yeah. So how do you get For them, it's probably pretty easy. They know when a hotel is going down. Right. So when the uh, when Treasure Island went down, they took the sign. and Because yep. you can see it from space. If you Google Earth, <laughs> you can go over the museum. And they have it setting so it faces up at the sky. <laughs> and you can see it properly right in the middle of their collection. Really? Yeah, yeah. So if, uh, I'll link to that for folks uh, on our blog page. So we don't need to fly to Vegas. Just Not to see that sign. Google Not to, Earth. You can, you can yep. see the, their <laughs> sign. So it's pretty easy for them to figure out when right. something's happening. How do you guys figure out when a cool sign is going to become available? Yeah, so that's kind of the weird thing about the museum is that when it started off, it was absolutely like grabbing signs for the collection makes sense. That's what museums do. But now we actually kind of work in the opposite of that where we try to preserve signs as they exist in their communities. The worst case scenario is that that sign comes into our collection. So oh. uh, when something, we'll hear about things, we, we've we've got, you know, we're trolling the internet looking for sign news, a local newspaper writing about the historic restaurant closing down, what's going to happen to the sign? That's a really common occurrence, something like that. We'll actually reach out to the historical society with the city planning department there and say, hey, what's going to happen to this sign? Can we 
keep it up? Is there any way we can preserve it there and try to keep it there? If it is coming down, we'll work with the business owner, whoever, and say, look, if you're taking this down, would you mind donating it to the American Sign Museum? We're a nonprofit. You'll tax break on that. Uh, but we would like to keep uh, those signs around so people can learn about it, learn that history. But when signs do come to us, most often they're donations and they're coming to us from sign companies. Uh, the um, sign companies are the ones installing the new ones. They're generally the ones taking down the old ones. They'll say, hey, you know what? This is a classic 1940s neon sign. This was put together by this neon shop that was pretty famous in the area. Let's hang on to this. Let's see if the guys at the museum want it. That's a pretty common way we'll get a sign. So, like, in the case where I live, if someone wanted to take down that big RB sign for some <laughs> unknown reason, you would advocate for keeping that sucker up we would we would strongly advise keeping it up um yeah i'm, I'm also from anderson township and people know that sign it's yes, it's, it's a iconic. defining landmark it's one of the few rb signs real rb signs left it's one of the few interesting things on beachmont avenue <laughs> to be perfectly honest <laughs> so getting rid of it would just be uh, a really really sad time now i will say when it comes to rb signs specifically um Finneytown lost their RV sign, classic RV sign. The problem where that comes in is they've told us in the past, all right, you can have it, but you've got to pay to take it down. You've got to pay to move it, and you've got to store it. Uh, rough estimate on an RV sign, it's three parts. It's all neon, blinking light bulbs. And it's big. It costs about $10,000 to bring that bad boy down. And the sad thing wow. is, the good thing is, we already have one. Oh, okay. So you have a proper one, or is it a smaller uh, version? We've or? got a proper one. All oh, right. And that one came from, I believe, from Dallas, Texas. So Jeez. having a local oh, one go. would have been a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. So who pays for that then? I believe that one was the transport costs were donated to us by a sign company that helped haul it up here. Wow. Um, is that typical? It's something we'd like to see more of. Yeah, uh, of course. So there are companies that sell sign crane trucks around the country, and they drive them out to the companies that are buying them so sometimes uh, if we can work with them they're going from one city to another they might be going through cincinnati hey maybe uh, maybe throw an old sign on it and drop it off on the way over that's how we got a uh, a sign from staten island actually they were delivering a truck over into southern indiana they were cutting through cincinnati we asked them to hitch a big old neon sign to it and they did and it got dropped off and wow uh, it's now on display in the museum so pretty cool little situation there so I th my favorite sign in the museum, I indicated this in my email, was the, uh, I can't remember the, the, the name of it, exactly, the Satellite? Satellite Shoplands. Satellite Shoplands. Shop yeah, Land. yeah. You want to tell the story about that one? And yeah. Satellite Shoplands is a funny one. Um, it's a big plastic ball with spikes coming out of it in all directions. It's maybe 15, 20 feet wide by, yeah, about the same distance height big giant sphere that's spinning it's got colored light bulbs all over it it looks crazy when it first was built it was built in the early 60s which was just a couple of years after the soviets had launched sputnik of course so there's this great obsession with the space race and with that comes space age design and style it's a style that's called googie which is just a really fun word to say out loud googie g-o-o-g-i-e yeah basically if it looks like it's from a jetsons cartoon it's going to be googie right <laughs> It's, just a, it's a good one. It's like you, t you had a typo trying to Google something, right? Yeah. So you have uh, the Googie design is, is taking off, and this guy needs a fun, goofy sign to go along with his new little shopping center. It's a little strip mall in Anaheim. Uh, the problem he runs into, though, is that there isn't a single local sign shop who was willing to make that style sign for him. They all thought it was kind of ridiculous. He had his own uh, homemade schematics that he had drawn up for it. Nobody would touch it. So... Uh, he did what any of us would have done in that situation. He just went ahead, went home, and built the thing himself. So it's an entirely homemade sign wow. made by a guy that I guarantee you had never made a sign before. There's a bunch of little rookie mistakes it's all some... over it. He, he puts it together, and it stays up in Anaheim for a good 35 years before it finally came Spell down. Spell that again. I'll bring it up here. It's a sa uh, Googie or Satellite? Yeah, Googie. G-O-O-G-I-E. I believe it was named after a uh, car wash in Los Angeles. There you go. <laughs> there you go. The La Concha is the name of the hotel in Las Vegas, by the way, that they okay. took the lobby okay. from. And that's another example uh, of yes. Googie slash uh, mid-century modern. Yeah. So Googie's kind of an offshoot yeah. of mid-century modern, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. But it definitely uh, sort of... 50s sci-fi influenced um, retro-futurism they also yeah, call it yeah, yeah yeah 
There's yeah. some nice stuff. There. If anybody yeah, plays awesome. the the Fallout video games, that's sort of a, yeah. a Googie Armageddon type. Situation. If you want to follow along at home or on your uh, telephone or whatever you're using to listen to the podcast, if you just Google Googie, uh, you'll probably bring up the same <laughs> images Darren's looking at right now on our big screen. Yeah, here it's just totally Jetsons. We'll post some on the blog too. When yeah, we yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, again mid-century modern is another associated yeah. design. Yeah, yeah, LAX. I, I always forget yes, that. LAX is a great example. If you can imagine that, that sort of bizarre control tower type thing, that, that's yeah. a really good example of Googie architecture. Yeah, that's some um, uh, nice. restaurant, I believe. They just remodeled it. Mm. Now, the, the other end of that story uh, is they they made him take it down, the city of Anaheim. It's an exit away <sighs> from Disneyland. Yeah, so Disneyland notoriously despises the neighborhood that they ended up in. That's yeah. why Walt moved out to the middle of the swamps in Florida so that he didn't have to have neighbors. And uh, yeah. they hated him and, and the company institutionally. They hated the chintzy crap that, that showed up around the theme park. And so uh, when they had the opportunity to sort of widen the roads there, they had to scoot all the signs back. Uh, when all the signs came down to be scooted back, uh, the city hall passed a whole bunch of side codes that uh, prevented all of it from going back up, and that's that's what it did in the old satellite shop land. But if you look up, uh, the only thing that exists from that plaza is the is a little supermarket that's called. And if you look that up, uh, you can see how they kind of thumb their nose at the Anaheim <laughs> ordinances. Their little four foot sign is a image of the original sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of lives on <laughs> nice. in spirit yeah. there on the side of the road. Take oh, that, yeah. Anaheim. <laughs> That's awesome. How many uh, different sign museums are there in the uh, United States? I only know of the two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean that, and the one in Vegas is the go-to one when I, when people ask this question. What other ones are there? It probably deserves a mention. The Museum of Neon Art in Los Angeles. It's a lot oh. more modern neon art. It's art or it's neon tubes on paintings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have a small collection of historic signs. Uh, Los Angeles was a really big center of neon work. Uh, back in the early days of Neon, so it makes sense. But other than that, there's a lot of private collectors. You might have a guy who will let you walk around his garage or barn for a couple of bucks or something like that. Some cities, uh, Philadelphia and I want to say Portland or Eugene, one of those, they kind of have little sign museum-y things, but it's more dedicated to their city, and they kind of have a a small collection of of signs from around their city, not unlike kind of what you guys do. So um, that's probably the closest you get. But as far as something dedicated to the sign industry, I want to say we're kind of it. Our official title is the largest public sign museum in the country. What that exactly means, I don't know. Maybe that's very specific. Maybe that's really broad. I don't know. Yeah. So you guys have signs from all over, but one of my favorite signs you guys have is the old El Rancho Rankin sign. It was, uh, was, I don't know if it's still outside, but it was outside when when I visited the museum. I was like, oh my gosh, I'd love to have that on our wall. We could just do away with a whole wall of t-shirts just to put that El Rancho Rankin sign in our store. Yeah. Yeah, a notorious little uh, hotel yeah. uh, off off of uh, Beachmont. Uh, you could have a whole museum of just seedy hotel oh, signs. Gosh. That'd be a good one. That'd yeah, we have one in our St. Louis store. What is it, the, the Notel Motel? It's a, it's a, a Coral yeah. Motel. It's the Coral, Coral Motel. Port. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a, a ton. Yeah, that's a, that's, a pr- that's a proper old sign on that one, too. I wonder what I have. That's still in existence, I think. The Probably. Coral Motel, it's, I think it's a, it's like a... I think it's a tourist um, Probably, info yeah. booth now or something. Yeah. Now I do. Yeah. I do have to break some hearts here. The El Rancho sign we have outside is not the El Rancho Rankin sign. Uh, Turns out El Rancho, the ranch, uh, maybe the least original name you could have for a hotel in the fifties and sixties. They were all over the country. Our El Rancho sign is actually from just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. Dang Was it like a franchise? They're using the same logo. It's possible. It, it closed shortly after I moved here. Right. So For good reason. Right. Uh, <laughs> the million-dollar walkway that they had, uh, where they had embedded silver dollars into the bricks. Uh, all of the silver dollars had been picked out of the bricks by the time it had closed. Uh, yeah, I think the the dream scenario would be to get a hold of somebody who has the El Rancho sign, but more specifically the uh, the big Cadillac that he had the plastic horse stuck oh, on yeah. the back. Oh, that, you know that somewhere. That's the dream scenario, is getting a hold of that thing. 
yeah. There's a guy that runs a Facebook page, and I reached out to him, but he hasn't posted on it in years. Oh. But he claims to be like yeah. the, the El Rancho historian. I invite him to be on the show, <laughs> and so far we haven't heard from him. So if so anybody out there it. listening knows anybody that... Uh, with El Rancho, we'd love to talk to somebody. Yeah, we need a whole episode dedicated to that. Me too. So, fun story about, about Mr. Uh, oh, shoot, Mr. Rankin. I forget his first name. The Colonel. The Colonel, right. Okay, so that's exactly what I was going to talk about. <laughs> he tried to become a Kentucky Colonel, which a lot of people don't realize. Honorary title, you can get it relatively easily. On Amazon. Colonel Sanders yeah. off of Chicken Guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Dude was obsessed with being a Colonel Sanders, and or Colonel Sanders is kind of weird. <laughs> But Rankin couldn't become one in Kentucky. For whatever reason, nobody would sponsor him. So he created the Ohio Colonel Society uh, really? in Ohio. And is the first Ohio Colonel. I don't know <laughs> if anybody else is an Ohio Colonel. <laughs> People still bother keeping up with it. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was his thing. So he started the, the Ohio Colonels. You should get Josh and Darren That's up for awesome. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for being a Colonel. Colonelize me. <laughs> yeah. So what's the range of signs you have? Is it mostly from the 50s and 60s? Do they go back to the early 1900s? What's kind of the yeah, so, spread? So the, the timeline we give is late 1800s through the 1970s. So you won't find too much after 1980. I honestly think we're up to maybe four or five signs after 1980 on display. We have, we have plenty in the back. And then we say late 1800s. Because it gets kind of vague there, it's kind of hard down to nail down, you know, a built-on date. Nobody, you know, signed their work necessarily back then. The oldest thing we have in the museum is an artist portfolio of gold leaf designs. Uh, it's a really, really intricate work. Uh, it is dated. That one is actually dated November tenth, eighteen seventy. So eighteen seventy is about as far back as we get. Wow. Beyond that, it's a lot of tin signs. It's a lot of wooden signs that generally speaking, are lost to history or are probably already sitting in another museum. The art museum uh, here in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Art Museum, they actually have a pretty good collection of early trade signs and a, uh, a folk art display and stuff like that. So um, there, there's some of it out there, but yeah, that's kind of been a goal of ours is to extend that timeline a little further back. Uh, and yeah. what about up, though, because, you know, the 80s are getting further and further back from us. And it's like, when I first moved here, the oldie station didn't go uh, past 1972 was the cutoff. Right. And now, the other day, I heard Tears for Fears. Um, yep. So I think they're up to the late 80s. And so does that kind of bottom end keep moving up for you guys, too? Because there's got to be a lot of signs from the 80s. Now, for like sure. Arcade signs and uh, yeah. you know, game system signs and all that that are yeah. probably... Yeah, so that, and that is something that we do have. Actually, um, one of the newest signs we just put on display is an early LED sign from 1992, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It was really exciting installing that software on my computer and figuring out <laughs> how to actually type a message onto it, but it's like a rotating uh, message display sign, which is pretty cool. Oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, we... too. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> it actually had like three adapters I had to go through to get USB onto my uh, uh, to connect to the computers. That was exciting, but it could still talk to it. That's still impressive. Barely, just wow. barely. <laughs> it had buttons that made absolutely no sense. It was really exciting. Um, but yeah, we do have a pretty good collection of early plastic signs, late plastic signs, some of that stuff. It becomes kind of a touchy subject. This is, this is sort of like a big major rift happens in the sign industry in the 80s is you have vinyl printing comes about. Uh, oh, yeah. The face of this is fast signs, uh, but they, uh, and, and not fast, fast signs specifically, but all of your sign shops that employed sign painters and maybe even a neon guy or two on staff, they start moving to these vinyl cutouts, you know, these, these real big cutting machines. And that kind of kills the sign painter. It decimates that field. It, it really hurts it. And so there are fans of our museum that love the museum. They love the sign painting uh, history that we preserve that would be incredibly offended if we ended up having a vinyl display. We will. It's a part of the sign history yeah, for it's... sure. But it, it did so much. I don't want to say bad, but it totally altered the sign industry to the point that nothing else had really done that before that it still still has some touchy feelings attached to it a lot of guys I keep saying guys but stereotypically that was the case uh, a lot of people left the sign industry when that becomes the case and 
I mean, within about a hundred miles of here, you have maybe four people who know how to do neon competently. Um, I'd be incredibly impressed if anybody knew somebody who did proper sign painting professionally and, you know, painted on the glass or, or advertising boards on, on businesses and things like that. It's coming back. People want that authenticity. But it cratered a huge part of the sign industry to the point where people still have really bad feelings about it. So, yeah, how do you find people to restore the signs? I'm sure a lot of them are showing up not in the greatest condition. <laughs> yeah, very few of them show up in you know perfect working order. Um, we we through the through Todd's connections with the the magazine and just knowing people in the industry that has been incredibly useful to rely on that. Uh, inside of our museum is a neon sign shop, Neon's, uh, Neon Works of Cincinnati. I want to give them their proper credit. They're a separate business from us. They've been in business longer than we've been a museum. Tom and Greg over there, uh, there are neon experts in Cincinnati. If you see anything made or repaired, or anything made out of neon, it was likely made or repaired inside of their shop. And their shop is hmm. located inside of our museum. So a separate business, they're doing their own thing. They're making neon for auto zones and the, the cool new trendy bar you're going to they they're making that neon yeah but they're inside of our museum and it's really really cool to have those guys uh basically on site and they're our restoration team and then we work with sign painters and gold leaf artists in the area uh to get everything else up to running but that's actually a really good point we try to not change the signs if at all possible we'll change out a light bulb we'll repair the neon when it breaks but when it comes to repainting a sign we've only repainted say, fewer than 10 of our signs we try to keep them as we found them. We will break that rule from time to time, but uh, but yeah, we, we try to keep them as we found them. Uh, another unique thing about the American Sign Museum versus maybe the folks, if you've been out to Las Vegas and seen that museum, is again, the uh, Las Vegas collection is kind of, um, you know, kind of, what do they call it, herky-jerky. It's, you know, it's a little... Uh, it, it's, it's, it is organized, but it's, you know, it's a, looks like a, still looks like a sign graveyard, whereas, you know, you have a, you actually make, not only put the sign up, but you make displays around them uh, a lot and have a lot of, like, information to go along with them yeah we we try to lay out the museum where if you've never been uh hopefully it makes sense uh ironically the american sign museum doesn't have the best signage but i think we do a good job i think we do a good job uh but you uh you, you walk into the museum you get hit with the the sort of the overview of the museum you see the timeline you see the technologies the materials all on our letter wall and then you work your way through our timeline. So you go from the late 1800s, early wooden signs, to early light bulb signs, to neon, to plastics. And it kind of lays it out nice and neat through a nice big hallway where you walk your way through that timeline. And then you spill out onto our Main Street display where we tried to recreate a sort of any town USA Main Street vibe where all of the buildings you'll see they're sort of designed and built around the signs that we had or just kind of cram it all together. So all of the eras, all of the technologies are all hanging out together. You see the signs sort of in their natural habitat, right? And then we have a back room that is dedicated to local signs. So a lot of uh, your uh, your Provident Banks, your Kroger's, your, your Wilson's Paints, uh, all of those guys uh, are in... In the back there, actually, we have Suter's uh, art store. Uh, their original neon sign is on display oh, cool. uh, in that room there. So uh, I think we lay it out nicely. We've we've got the information there. Um, we also actually just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we now have a audio tour that you can take through your phone. So you can go to our cool. website there. We, we've got headphones available at the front desk, and you can actually get an hour-long audio tour uh, through the museum. You can read the text or you can listen to it. It's kind of a neat way to explore the museum rather than just sitting there uh, reading things. You can kind of have it interpreted for you through through the audio. So yeah, that's awesome. What's the uh, electric bill every month? <laughs> Gosh, or, yeah. Do you guys uh, ever wish you could kind of retrofit all the signs to be LEDs? <laughs> I will say, any of the light bulb signs where you can't see the light bulbs if it's in behind, there's a good chance it's an LED bulb or a compact yeah. fluorescent. Oh, I can uh, <laughs> But we do we do use a, a sign incandescent bulb on the outside of them. Yeah, so the, the electric bill, to answer your question, it, it usually it hovers around three grand a month, right? So it's a little more, it's a little less, honestly, depending on uh, the heating and air conditioning. That's, that's the majority of the bill, wow. believe it or not. Uh, but yeah, so the museum is actually, you know, the roof was uh, reinforced and all ready for solar panels. We need some uh, some help for that. <laughs> it's a massive upfront uh, expenditure, but ideally we could turn it into sort of a, a mini solar power plant on top of our building. And we don't just power ourselves, but we could power the neighborhood or something like that. It'd be really, really cool. That'd be the ideal. Uh, but as of right now, 
Uh, Duke is mailing us love letters once a month. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being in business. Uh, come on, Duke. <laughs> It'd be a little write-off for you, Duke Energy. <laughs> Donate. Oh. So, as, with all these signs in the museum from all these different history, how do you find out the stories behind the signs, like like the satellite shop sign and all that stuff? How do you do? You, is it the internet? Do you have to dig back into archives? Do people, when they drop off the sign, say, "Oh, by the way, here's a funny story"? Right. You yeah. Just look up the old uh, the old magazine. Right. Uh, yeah. Just ask Todd. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Todd. I mean, believe it or not, that works. That works more than you'd think. Todd, what's the deal with this one? Oh yeah, I knew that guy. He made this sign. He was kind of a weird dude. Yeah. That that. That's, that's a pretty common story. No, a lot of times, yeah, it comes with the backstory. Hey, guys, we, we saw this sign was coming down. We thought of you. Uh, this was a, a flower shop run by so-and-so family, blah, blah, blah. That, they'll go into the story that way. Um, that's the ideal. Uh, we do have a couple of mystery signs. We've got signs where we're not really sure where it was from. We're not sure who made it. It just kind of popped up. And it's a really great example of this technology or this process, and uh, we put it on display for that case. But uh, we don't always know where they're coming from. So is the art of sign making? Oh, I see Darren scrolling through some more pictures here. There's a mail pouch. You said that, you know this that was from yeah. the era of the sign painter, and they would paint them on the side of barns. Yeah, and uh, is so that a real barn or is that? Uh, no, that's, did you guys make that? That one's real. That is the actual side of the barn. Had the actual advertisement actually painted onto it. There, nice. uh, pulled off board by board, rebuilt inside of our museum. We we and tried to preserve it. Was it uh, as it as found, or did you have to touch up the paint a little bit? As found, that was done. Uh, best guess is late forties, and it's exactly how we found it. If uh, out in our neck of the woods, if you go down Eight Mile Road, there's a uh, tree service place. You can still see the there. They had it all written on the side of the barn there. Yep. Uh, at yep. the end of Bartles Road, yeah, uh, tree service, and it's still that was a that was a popular way of doing signs back then. I yeah, guess. that was a good deal. So generally speaking, whoever was putting their ad on the side of the barn painted the entire barn. That's right. For yeah. whoever had it, and painting the barn, it helps preserve it. It keeps uh, you know mold and fungus from growing on it. And then they get their big old advertisement on the side of it. It's a heck of a deal. Most times, that uh, that was your entire payment. Mail pouch, in the early days, they would lease your barn from you for a dollar a year or something like that. And they realized they were... They were giving you plenty of, of value by <laughs> repainting the entire barn. And they'd even come back every couple of years and retouch them up. It wasn't so common, but it was it was totally an option. And, yeah, so we have a mail pouch barn, and we also have a Sea Rock City barn, um, which is uh, a part of a, a great meme, I guess, in the 50s and 60s, yeah, where if you Chattanooga. were yeah, if you're a roadside attraction, yeah. you just advertise as far away as possible just, just for the, the, the fun of it, right? So... That they were advertising the barn we've got is a good four hundred miles away from the actual attraction they were they were showing off. So, so what's the state of the sign industry like now? We is it is it really a lost art? I mean, again, look at all these ordinances they have in all these towns. They can only have like a little four foot sign right. and all that. Is that and there's just I guess less businesses opening up and more franchises, so it's kind of a lot of sameness. What's how's how are things looking for the sign business? Yeah, the the sign industry is definitely in an interesting spot where it's kind of growing in all directions. So neon is on the upswing in general. And in fact, uh, the Sign Museum has had a a lot of success in conjunction with another organization called FASI, the Foundation for the Advancement of the Sign Industry, uh, actually getting uh, cities to revise their sign codes and to allow neon back into their communities. Uh, Because neon, a lot of people don't realize this, Every neon sign has to be handmade. The glass is all hand-bent. It's, these are handmade glass sculptures, uh, which seems kind of silly that we went around banning them all. But <laughs> it's authentic. This is so much better than a big plastic sign or a big digital screen, right? So if you have a great big neon sign, that is a custom art piece that you get to put advertising your business. And it looks good, and it catches people's eyes, and it, it shows up at night brilliantly. It cuts through fog and everything else. It's really, really good. And neon is booming across the country. You also have, yeah, every advertising surface is becoming a digital uh, surface. So people who might have been sign painters or sign designers in the past are graphic designers, but now their graphic design is being seen in the sort of physical world. It's not just on a digital screen uh, in your hand or on your computer. It's now on the side of the road. And you are seeing sign painting coming back. If you uh, want to go on to uh, Instagram and look up letterheads or sign painter or sign painting, you will find an endless number of videos of 
uh, a lot of old hippies and a lot of new people doing it again, uh, doing the hand lettering, which is incredible to see the steady hands of it all. It's insane what these people are able to do. And it's starting to make a comeback. People want that hand-painted sign. They want to show that they're authentic. They're not just a cookie-cutter business. That They're something interesting. They're unique. And sign-painting a, a menu or your hours on the side of the building is a really simple way to nod towards that. So, so I guess uh, now that you bring it up, Neon, for a long time, kind of had a bad name. Yeah. So is it toxic? <laughs> it's not. No, it's it's perfectly the, safe. Is it the people, that, I guess the businesses that used it, it started to get associated with tattoo right. parlors and strip joints and yeah so that... the history of neon i think is fascinating huh. and I, I i'd love to write a book about it or if somebody else wants to do it for me that'd be great the history of neon is tied really really strongly uh with the inner city of the united states so when neon first shows up it's in the late 20s early 30s the 30s and 40s It is a representation of wealth. Uh, Neon is actually a French invention, so the first neon signs had to be imported from France. They're custom handmade glass sculptures. They were insanely expensive. The first neon sign today uh, cost that company, uh, Packard, about $300,000 in today's money to put a neon sign up. They're not that expensive today. That was kind of the investment you were putting in. And if you were the first business on the block with a neon sign... You were looking incredible. This was blowing people's minds. They'd never seen these tubes of color glowing insanely bright. It was insane. It was really, really cool. And then after World War II, a combination of a whole bunch of things happens. One, uh, you have white flight. So you have uh, folks moving out of the inner city, moving to suburbs. And with that, you lose a lot of money in the inner city where you had a bunch of neon signs that are fairly expensive to maintain if you're constantly having to replace the glass. So now all of a sudden you have inner cities with a lack of people, a lack of money, an increase in crime, and broken, flashing, blinking neon signs, right? That's what a neon sign looks like when it's dying. And that broken neon sign becomes a symbol of urban decay. It becomes a symbol of crime in the inner city. Then you get to throw Vegas into the mix. And, you know, neon was a symbol of wealth when it began. So in the 40s and 50s, Vegas does it up to 11. They go all in on neon, and with that comes the connotations with mobsters and uh, clothing-optional dance clubs and everything else like that. So then if you're a strip joint in Cincinnati and you want to play off of that Vegas theme, maybe you get a nice big neon sign. Maybe you want to project that image of Vegas. And then we can go ahead and blame Hollywood for this. So is it life imitating art or art imitating life? Hollywood picks up on this changing reputation for neon and you start to have the neon sign becomes a uh, sort of the ominous symbol that something is going to go wrong or they're meeting the gangsters at the bar with the big neon sign. Uh, the best example in the entire world is the movie It's a Wonderful Life, right? Bedford Falls, it's a quaint, cute little New York City. Everything's hand-painted, everything's nice. And the alternate universe, Potter's the first thing that is wrong that he notices is that the bar has a neon sign and then he's walking Uh down Main Street and oh my gosh, blinking flashing lights, neon signs everywhere (laughs) uh, dancing legs on all the signs it's horrific the city has gone to hell, this is the end of it and it's neon (laughs) signs that represent that dramatic change, that dramatic shift, Uh, so yeah so you have all that and then plus things go out of fashion bell bottoms are in fashion, bell bottoms are out of fashion, neon was in fashion, neon falls out of fashion, you throw it all together and uh, you don't want to be caught dead with a neon sign in the uh, in the you know early nineties. <laughs> to show you how That's far the, awesome. the the neon, you know, like you're saying with Hollywood and entertainment and media, uh, I remember seeing uh, Duran Duran in the late eighties. Uh, a song they always do is one of the first songs they ever wrote. It's called The Chauffeur. Okay. And uh, the, when I saw them in Cleveland, it was about eighty seven, eighty eight. Uh, the stage is dark, and all there is is a neon hotel sign that's part, purposely partially burnt out. It's yep. flashing no vacancy. <laughs> and that's supposed to kind of evoke this, you know, seedy image of the, yeah. Yep. How, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, with the, the Bates Motel, right? I believe they uh, had yeah. a big neon sign. So, right. yeah, so, like, the neon yeah. sign becomes that symbol of, like, danger. <laughs> Which, you know, it's not great if you're neon. <laughs> yeah. But all these places that's now nice. are starting to, you know... I guess whoever kind of is revisiting the past, that's kind of what this business is built on. Right, right. Uh, and so that's, that's healthy, I guess, for a museum and also for uh, the sign industry itself. For sure, for sure. Yeah, if you're if you're a new business in over the Rhine or North Side or you know whatever, you know, pick your pick your trendy neighborhood. Neon is representative of 
maybe the peak of your neighborhood's history, right? Or maybe the, the high times of your neighborhood's history. And so if you want to tap into that, if you want to jump into that history, Neon's a real quick way to make it, one, appear like you've been there the whole time, and two, yeah. uh, to kind of connect yourself to that history. And yeah, that's why you're seeing Neon is starting to make that comeback. And uh, yeah, again, if you're the only one with a Neon sign, you're looking pretty good. If everybody has a Neon sign, maybe it starts to get a little overwhelming. But um, yeah, you're starting to see that comeback. Well, and it's not just Neon. Again, we're looking at some of the images uh, Darren's put up here on our screen. It's the, like I said, like the Arby's sign, that's the, the lights that go around yeah. it, that kind, that kind of retro feel to it. That's all coming back as well? The chasing light bulbs are trickier because so many sign codes prevent blinking, flashing right. lights. Right, like, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're so it's, dramatic. Um, and the worst is when you have... Uh, there was a, an Indian restaurant in Clifton that used to have a very quickly flashing red and blue neon sign. It just always looked like a cop was pulling somebody over right next to the, the shop. Right? So you want to avoid that. Uh, that's not great. But yeah, I think you might start to see a little bit of that, but that might be just a, a step too far for local uh, you know, governments to, to walk yeah. back the sign codes all the way. I guess, but you know, a lot of these places... You know these, uh, we you know with Liberty Center and what I got they call them outdoor lifestyle centers. Yeah. Everybody trying to capture that retro feel. Right. You think they would try to encompass that too? But like if you're saying, maybe that's just a bridge too well, far. Maybe that's one. So I I, I want to pick on Skyline here for a second because uh, if you if you're on Beachmont and you're in Anderson, uh, you're just coming out of Mount Washington. They oh, yeah. just built like a brand new, uh, looks like a two story Skyline. Um, Their last night got me some cookies. There, there you go. You and you might you might have noticed on the side they have a brand new sign that is attempting to look retro while not being. So uh-huh. there are dots around it where light bulbs oh, should yeah, be, Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, so, yeah. And they'll yeah. Do the, the, I even think the lettering is done in neon style and that they're all right. connected, but there's no neon on it. The whole thing is just a giant plastic cabinet. Uh, so is that good? Maybe. Like, I like the nod to the history, but it would have been nice if Skyline had stepped it up and maybe gone the full way with it. An extra 50 grand. (laughs) Do you think maybe they did that because of the ordinances in the township or because of a cost cutting? It's possible. And maybe a little little column A, a little column B on that one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, how cheap? uh, You said uh, neon was uh, expensive back in the day and it's uh, it's a little more affordable now. Like, what, what kind of range? Because I'm, I'm thinking about a Cincy shirt sign, right, of course. Right, sure. So if you're if you're looking for something, maybe let's let's say like uh, you want to put up in your window, right? So you're yeah. probably not going to be able to hang you know a nice blade sign on the outside of your building. You'd have to go through a whole bunch of code stuff. If you put a nice neon sign on the inside of your building, maybe it's say three feet wide and a foot tall, something like that. It's generally priced per letter, and then you pick whatever styling of letter you want and how big you want the letter, and then they'll kind of work you out from there. Uh, but you should probably be prepared to spend anywhere from, say, one to $3,000 on a nice big neon sign like that. You're paying for the custom glass. You're paying for the craftsmanship that goes into it. And especially if it's inside, it's going to last you for about, I don't like I said, 25, 35 years. And wow. not that expensive to run. You look at about four or five watts per foot of tube. You're maybe looking at 20 feet of tubing uh, to do the whole thing. It might be cheaper than just you know three or four 60 watt light bulbs so yeah and actually not that expensive to run um it's that upfront cost that, that pings you but that's well, cool it's custom right it's yeah, custom it lasts longer than 10 years that's about as good as leds can get and in theory can be made out of entirely recyclable materials i mean it can be greener than an led sign if you do it right i look proper outside the high park <laughs> store this building was built in 1925 that's the right era you there you go get, get a nice red green or a, uh, a nice red orange neon sign you'd look good yeah so your sure. boss started this, of course, out of uh, a love of signs. Yes. But really, it has a benefit to the industry, I guess, because it, people it kind of keeps signs from becoming just run of the mill, an afterthought. Where this can really inspire, uh, you know, the future. Right. Exactly. And that is that is kind of what we're we're hoping to do. We want to inspire people. We want a graphic designer to come in and look at this and realize, oh man. 
this cool new thing that's the hot new trend in graphic design. They were doing it in 1910, you know? Kind of tap into that history that a lot of times is lost. People don't realize that, like, these sign painters were making up alphabet books that they would sell to each other for different typefaces, for different fonts and things like that. Uh, Nowadays, you just, you know, you pull the drop-down menu out of Microsoft Word, something like that. But uh, there was an entire market of sign painters selling letters to each other uh, that existed long before anybody was necessarily necessarily publishing it or definitely not putting it on on the internet there so I, I definitely think that there is this history that can help inform and project into the future so uh yeah hopefully hopefully we're inspiring the next generation of sign sign makers so if people want to visit the sign museum there's the website of course it's american what is it american sign museum yeah american sign museum.org i guess somebody else had asm.org so you gotta spell it all out okay. <laughs> i can have my wedding and corporate event and whatever else you guys yeah. run it out right we we do events we do field trips we do a little bit of everything we actually have a concert series going on this fall or this summer uh, all the way into october so once a month we're bringing in americana type bands we've had the Star Devils, we've had the Hot Magnolias, Jake Speed and the Freddies, you know, all sorts of different uh, bands like that. We had some comedy nights earlier this year. Um, right. So yeah, we're we're trying to we're trying to be nice. a, a good good neighbors, good good members of the Cincinnati community, and uh, hopefully people take us up on our uh, on our offers yeah. there. If you really want to pack the house, I'd suggest a uh, Fiona sign. Ooh, that'd be good. We'll have to talk to the zoo on that one. See if we can get a, a classic Fiona neon sign. Here she's all the rage. <laughs> so at the end of every episode, we invite the guest to choose a the coupon code for the episode. Ooh. So for the next week after the podcast drops, you can get 20% off uh, your order at Cincy Shirts. Ooh, okay. Uh, or old school shirts, if you want to look. at We have some old yeah. signs on uh, in the other cities as well. Sure, sure. So, uh, what? Uh, not to put you on the spot, no, but what, no. what? I think I think word, phrase, something. I think my Karnak skills are kicking in. I think I know what, what the word might be, but uh, so so the go-to would be neon, right? Yes. But let's, yeah. well, I was gonna say. <laughs> but let's let's go ahead and do and do. I our our little our little slogan, our little tagline is "I love old signs." It's long. Maybe it's too long for you guys. We can do. We can do. I love old signs. I you know, can do that. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if we can signs. just get people to type that in, maybe it sticks in their brain and they okay. start believing it. Word. So, yeah. <laughs> or maybe we'll make a Googie-O active too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, neon. Let's okay. let's just go with neon. Let's make okay, it simple. Neon, okay. we, we want some people to get these coupons in here. Uh, neon, neon, neon would be great. So. Okay, cool. <laughs> neon. All right. And how many? What percent would you say are neons? Because they're not all neon there. No, obviously. no. no. I'd say 40 percent okay. somewhere in there. Maybe even a little less. Than that right. uh, I mean it's the one that gets everybody in the building but yeah. we have a, a huge collection of even non-electric signs early light bulb signs with milk glass and all sorts of interesting things there and we actually have a pretty good collection of early vacuum form plastic signs so we, we run the gamut here but neon's what everybody thinks of so it's <laughs> awesome well great Kevin thanks for joining us today and uh, we'll hope everybody goes out to the American Sign Museum out in Camp Washington right yep absolutely all right, go to the website get all the information you need alright thanks Kevin yeah, thanks. thank you guys Kevin Wallace from the American Sign Museum. If you go to our blog at cincyshirts.com, we'll have links and pics to some of the stuff we talked about today, so do check that out. We'll also have a link, of course, to the American Sign Museum, which, of course, you can just Google or go to americansignmuseum.org. That's pretty easy. Uh, today's show was produced by me with some help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing, and they're from Philadelphia. You can find them on Facebook, and of course, you can get that song on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. Find vintage tees from Philadelphia and other great cities like Cleveland, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Portland, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. As I've mentioned the past couple of episodes, Dayton just came on board, as did Boston. So check those out. In the St. Louis store, we have the Coral Court Motel sign t-shirt that we discussed uh, in the interview with Kevin, so you can check that out. And in fact, many of our designs, uh, in both Old School and Cincy, uh, are based off old signage, so uh, check those out. And speaking of that, 
We have the original Burger Chef logo shirt up at Old School Shirts, and soon it will be in the Cincy Shirts website. But, I mean, if you if you live in Cincinnati, just go to the Old School uh, website, and you can just buy it there. We, uh, all the money goes into the same pot, so we don't care. And you can use the 20% off code to either site. And, uh, speaking of, the promo code for this episode is NEON. Very easy. So uh, you can get 20% off your entire order when you use that code at either site, or you can go into one of our stores here in Cincinnati and just say the word NEON, say, I'd like to use that code to get 20% off, and they Will, uh, they will oblige you. So let me see. We are in OTR, Hyde Park, and now Loveland, of course. Yes, it's official. We are open 10 to 8 Monday through Saturday, 10 to 4 on Sunday. And follow us on any and all of our social channels, which would be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Other than that, please tell your friends about the show. Give us a nice review uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.